The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to a Monday morning, and it's Positive Talk Radio, and I'm glad that uh, you're here today. We've got a heck of a show for you today, I do have to say. This is, one of those, this is one of those shows where somebody's done something that I not only have not done, I can't even believe that she did what she did because I can't believe that anybody could do what she did, but she did. And uh, so, and Ben, just out of curiosity, when you were, well, you could still do it. Do you like to climb? Do you like to go into the woods and, and climb hills and that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have 12, uh, 12. I have two 11-year-olds boys, so they're still pretty active, so I like to try to get out there and, you know, do things like that and also save my knees, so I'm trying to make sure I'm aware of that. Being 45, you know, you got to do that. Start listening to your body. Uh, that would be nice. Yep. I wish yep. I had yep. taken your advice yep. years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, our guest today, yeah. Um, and you know, I I got to tell you, I asked you prior to the show, have you ever climbed Mount Rainier? Which, of course, from Seattle, we can all see Mount Rainier. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful mountain. It's what sixteen thousand feet, and uh, and it's a, and have you ever climbed it? I personally have not. Uh, we've taken we've taken the drive up there, and you know, went up to the little lookout area, but not physically done it. Our guest has climbed that mountain seven times. That's unreal. And, and she's part of the Mountaineers Club in Seattle. She knows uh, some of the like the Whitakers, and she knows some of the great people that have been, that have a climbing tradition in the Northwest. And she is has a climbing tradition all unto herself mm-hmm. because she is the second female to ever climbed to ever climb K2. And if you don't know what K2 is, it's almost double the size of Mount Rainier. It is a it's a killer. It is a very difficult mountain to climb and she's climbed it. She's written a book about it and her name is Lisa Thompson and she is right here. Lisa, how are you? I'm great, Kevin. Thank you for having me this morning. Oh, thank you for thank you for coming. I thought maybe you'd be on a mountain someplace, but you're I actually was on Rainier yesterday, but I came back for this. Oh, <laughs> did you make it to the summit? No, we just went to ten thousand feet to Camp Mirror. So. Oh, just ten thousand. That's yeah. all. right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Oh, to the ten thousand feet. <laughs> just as a lark for an afternoon. Got nothing better to do. Let's go climb ten thousand feet. Well, you, you know gotta that's... do it while you can in Seattle. Our summers are so short. That is that is so true. And now, did you? Now I know you have a company here in Seattle. Did you take some folks from your company up there? I didn't. No, some of them were up there independently. But yeah, I have been climbing for many years, and about five years ago, started my own company, Alpine Athletics, um, through which I coach aspiring mountaineers to climb mountains like Rainier and Everest and all the great mountains all over the world. 
So if you would like to climb a mountain and you need some expert advice and somebody to help you learn how to, well, number one, the steps you need to take to get into shape enough to be able to do such yes. a thing yes. and, and the regimen that you need to do that, the perfect coach for you would be Lisa. And she's <laughs> right here in town. So she's right in West Seattle. So now you can call Lisa and she can help you. If you've got, if you've always looked at that mountain as you go down I-5 going southbound on I-5, if you've always looked at that mountain and said one of these days on my bucket list is to climb that dang thing. Um, that's, I've, I've got the opportunity of the lifetime for you here. So, so Lisa, how do they get a hold of you and get a hold of your company? So you can just online check out alpineathletics.net and uh, get a hold of me through there. I'd love to chat. I give lots of advice to people too, even if you're thinking about climbing a mountain and you're not sure what the right next step would be for you. Um, I love to just talk about mountains and geek out about gear all day. So if you have questions, even if you're not interested in coaching, I'm happy to help guide, provide some advice, just chat about mountains. So yeah, alpineathletics.net. That's alpineathletics.net. And I highly encourage you to mountain climbing. You might think is a, a enjoyable thing and it can be fun, but it also can be extremely dangerous. If you're not, if you don't do it right and you don't have all the gear that you need and the advice and the coaching that gets you there and the, and the leadership in your, in your group, um, all of that, all of that plays a role, doesn't it? It absolutely does. I think, so I climbed Rainier. I attempted Rainier. That was the first big mountain that I climbed. I attempted it in 2008, was not successful. Came back in 2009 and did summit. And every mountain I've climbed since then, I think it's just, I learned so much every time I'm out there about all of the things that need to come together just perfectly to be successful. And one of the things I realized that first time on Mount Rainier was that this is so much more than just a physical pursuit. There's this really significant piece of success in the mountains that's mental, that's believing you are strong enough to endure. Like you said, Kevin, it's hard. It's not going to be easy and fun every single second. And so a big element of climbing um, any mountain, I think, in, in any sort of discipline, whether you're rock climbing or mountaineering, um, is having the mental strength and capacity to get through those tough moments. So it's really a culmination, I think, of physical, mental, and then what I call tactical, which is understanding the route, knowing the risks, having your gear super dialed, being with a great partner or a great team. All those things have to come together. You have what I term and this is a new term and not, not a lot of people are using it. You, but you have what I call authentic grit. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. I like it. What authentic grit is to me is that you recognize that number one, you're going to be excellent. You're going to be the best that you can be, whatever that looks like for you, but you're going to be the best that you can be. You're not going to give up. You're not going to turn back when you can go on. And you have got a shining example of that because you were on K2. And by the way, K2 is an absolute killer. It kills people every year. And uh, you were on K2 and you had a decision to make at one point. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So K2, a little bit of background. Um, so I'm the second American woman to summit that mountain. I summited in 2018 and 
It is in Pakistan. It straddles the border between Pakistan and China. It's the second highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, of course, being the first. And even though K2 is about 800 feet shorter than Mount Everest, they, in my view, are not even in the same league in terms of danger and difficulty and risk. And so um, I had summited K2, summited Everest in 2016, and I felt like, you know, I think I just have a little bit more, I can push myself a little bit further in the mountains. And I'm always very careful about the mountains I choose to climb. I'm sort of a nerd about picking a mountain that I feel is going to push me, push my skills, push my capability, but not cross this line where like you said, you're sort of out beyond your skill or ability. And so though there were some differing opinions about this, I really felt like K2 was the next logical step for me to take in my climbing career. And um, K2 is, it is unrelentlessly steep from the second you leave base camp. Um, it is much, much more remote than most of the mountains in the Himalaya. So comparing it to Everest, for example, at base camp on Everest, you can get Wi-Fi and there's an ER and, you know, there are commercial helicopters that will fly, you know, up to 26,000 feet and rescue you if you need that. And none of that exists in Pakistan. And, you know, it's very remote. Um, if you need a rescue, you're relying on the Pakistani army. There's, you know, you're very far away from definitive medical care if you should need it. So it's, it's much more challenging logistically and the weather on K2 is just notoriously fickle. So it's known for these just monster storms that seem to come out of nowhere. And because of the terrain on K2 and its steepness, it's very prone to avalanches and it's also very prone to rock fall. So just to errant rocks that start, you know, hurtling towards you as you're climbing. So it is a very, like you said, Kevin, it's known as a killer mountain. Um, I don't know, you know, the stats sort of vary depending on how you're counting, but it's maybe 10 times more dangerous than Mount Everest. So it was not a hugely popular decision <laughs> amongst my friends and family uh, in 2018 when I decided that I wanted to attempt this mountain, but there was just this, you know, maybe it was authentic grit. There was this part of me that believed that I was capable of doing it and believe that it was the right thing for me to do. And getting to, to the moment you mentioned, Kevin, I, I legit wanted to quit every day. Like it was just unbelievably hard. I wasn't sure if I was capable of delivering what that mountain required of me as a climber. And there was a moment um, on a feature of the mountain called the Black Pyramid which is um, about 25,000 feet. And it is sort of a vertical cobble of rock. It's not a smooth rock face, but it's very cobbly black rock. And there, you know, there's sort of ice and some melting snow. And if I look below me, I can see miles all the way down to base camp. So I'm literally sort of dangling there, you know, in the air, hanging on a rope and relying on that rope and the gear. By the way, I just want to mention, that sounds just like a hell of a good time. <laughs> It's, it's, like, it's like going to a New Year's Eve party or something. It's just, oh, man, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. 
And it was incredibly hard. Like you said, it was, it was not a walk in the park anymore. And I questioned what, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I risking myself in this way? Um, what am I trying to prove? All of those thoughts were going through my head and I allowed myself to, to kind of get lost in this fantasy of, I, I mean, I could descend, I could quit right now. I could reverse my direction on this rope. I could be down to base camp, you know, later today, I could fly to Islamabad and like sleep in a bed and have an actual shower and sit down and eat a meal in a restaurant next week. You know, I just let all that play out, which was not super healthy in that moment. And then this thought just, you know, came into my brain or this question of, is this all that you're capable of? And I had to really pause to answer that. And I knew that it wasn't all that I was capable of, that in that moment, I was just scared and I was uncertain and I wasn't sure that I could do it. And I told myself um, just to put, you know, a sort of hand over hand climbing, just put one hand above the next, move your, you know, your foot to the next hold. And every time I moved, I just repeated the words, I am strong to myself over and over until, you know, all those other doubts and even those fantasies about eating cake in Islamabad, all that was just sort of erased by this, you know, this mantra that I am strong. And that's really what got me through that moment. And for me, that was the crux or the hardest part of that climb was getting above that point, the Black Pyramid. And after that, you know, it was still a lot of risk um, and danger, but it was primarily snow, which is sort of, you know, having grown up in the, or having climbed in the Pacific Northwest for so long, that's kind of my comfort zone. So once I got above that point, I felt much more comfortable and much more confident about my climbing. Well, you know, your story is, is in, and first of all, your story is incredible. Thank you. And, and you should be very, very proud of the person that you are and, and what you can do. But I want to translate that into something that everybody can use. For sure. Which is that if you decide you want to do something and you're willing to prepare for it, and you're willing to do all the steps, not to, not to short circuit or, to, or try and take yeah. the shortcuts, but you're willing, and regardless of what it is, if you want to be a musician that's going to be on stage, if you want to be a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, a stand-up comic, you got to do the work. And you got to be willing to not say no. You got to yeah. keep going. And yeah. even when you want to say no, you don't say no. That's authentic grit in my world. Yeah, I thank you for saying that because I think it is so, so true. And I see this as a coach that, you know, 85% of the people I work with are highly motivate, motivated. But I think as climbing has become a little more mainstream, some of the athletes that reach out to me, you know, they, they watched a movie or they read a book or they watched climbing in the Olympics and they want to go climb the seven summits or they want to climb 515, which is the highest grade anyone's ever climbed, you know, like in five years and that's fantastic and I love it, but you have to put in the work, right? It does, it does not happen overnight. And I think it's so important to have that huge goal on the horizon and to be very realistic about the intermediate goals that you can sort of chunk out and move through one step at a time to get closer to that goal. And with mountaineering in particular, I say to myself and to athletes like coach that, it can either be hard now or it can be hard in the mountain. 
You can do 50 burpees today. And I guarantee you that that's going to make it easier when you're on the mountain. And so you sort of have this choice, right? And I think it's true if you're learning any craft or any skill, the practice is where I want it to be the hardest so that you get to that moment on stage or you get to that, you know, crux of your climb and you have the confidence and the ability to know that I got this, like I did all the work and here I am living this thing that I've strived for and love and, and I'm doing it. I'll bet you there are lots of people that have been on a mountain that said, damn it, I wish I'd done more burpees. <laughs> it would have been so much easier than what I'm going through now. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Uh, because I think everybody, until you've been through it, until like the first time you climbed Mount Rainier, you were not successful. Right. And that gave you the, the experience and the knowledge to know, okay, this is what it really is going to take. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Then you were able to get that, do that, and get that done. You've climbed now. I don't know what it's called today. It's a name that I can't pronounce. But it used to be Mount McKinley in yeah. Alaska. You've climbed that. Denali, yeah. That the President Obama actually officially changed the name of that mountain, the highest uh, point in North America. It's in Alaska. Is now Denali, which is one of the native names for it. Um, that was really the first really hard mountain that I ever climbed. So it's twenty thousand three hundred and twenty feet. Um, and because, um, of where it's situated geographically, the atmosphere is a little thinner there than in other mountains at 20,000 feet. So I don't know, I don't recall exactly what it feels like, but it feels like you're higher than that, um, elevation wise. And the other, you know, I'm, I'm five, four on a good day away. Then I weighed 115 pounds. So I'm not a big person. Um, and the challenge about Denali, which I actually love, I love that this purity still exists on this mountain, is that there are no porters, there are no Sherpa. It's, you know, you and your rope team hauling all of the gear that you need to live on that mountain for three weeks. So, so, yeah, so your, your pack, how heavy is your pack when you're going up? So it, so the, it's the heaviest on the first day. So you get dropped off by a plane on a glacier and it's relatively flat there. So I don't, didn't have the means to weigh it, but it probably between the sled that I was pulling and the backpack that I was carrying probably weighed about 85 pounds. Now did that, I mean, that's, that's two thirds of your body yeah. or more. And so did some of the guys, were there bigger guys there that said, oh, hey, I'll be, I'll be mad. I'll take, I'll take some of your weight. Well, so I was the only woman on my team and um, I was so adamant, I still am adamant about, you know, contributing equally as a team member. So even if they had said, you know, let me carry that for you, I wouldn't have let them because I just felt like we're all in this together. And I, I agree with having one another's backs, but, you know, I felt like I was capable of hauling that much weight. Um, I had trained like crazy for that climb and the weight gets, you know, you're not hauling 85 pounds to the summit. So as you use the the food and the fuel, it gets lighter and lighter. Um, but on the first day, it's the heaviest. It's about 85 pounds. Yeah. And you're actually going back to Nepal uh, yeah. this, this fall again. Yes. Super what gonna, excited. What are you going to climb this time? So what I'm most excited about climbing um, this fall is a mountain called Chulatsi, which is about um, 6,800 meters. And it's 
some with along with some other um, climbing friends, all women, we created a nonprofit called Anything Is Possible. And our goal is to raise money for Nepalese women's education. Um, so when we started as a group, you know, we we've all climbed in the Himalaya and we we just really love the culture and the people and felt like we needed to start to give back to that community that we love so much that we've gotten so much from in terms of growth. And so we started researching um, and learned that 85% of women over the age of 15 in Nepal have had no education, none, which is just staggering um, to me to think about, especially when women, you know, are really at the heart of that community and make so many decisions about the family um, they participate in, you know, farming. And so we really wanted to impact that in a positive way. So we're raising money um, and we're, we're also going to, we are accepting applications of women who have some sort of goal, right? They want to own a tea house or they want, you know, some more formal education. And so we want to support that for women. Um, the other cool part of this climb is that it's all women, not that we have anything against men at all, um, but mountaineering is a very male dominated, you know, there's not a lot of diversity in the mountains, which is changing, thankfully, but um, we really want to prove that we as women can do that can do this. And so um, we were working with a very, very um, skilled Sherpani, so female Sherpa, she will take the role of Sirdar, which is the lead Sherpa on our team. Her name is Pasang Lama Akita. And along with her, we're building a group of all women to climb Sholatsi this fall. So you can follow along at anythingispossible.today. Um, donate, of course, if you feel compelled, but um, it's really just important to us that we have this sort of group of women supporting each other and other women in Nepal. You know, it's really so too bad that uh, in in our world today that there still is a divide between uh, male and female as far as as far as education goes. Well, as a matter of fact, there's this new there's this country that I don't know if you heard about that they just took away a major right for females that that I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> have you, can't even imagine. Have you have you heard of that one? I can't, yeah, yeah. you know, and and uh, um, I I you know, it's like we're going back to the Stone Age. It just doesn't. It just drives me. I just don't understand. Uh, but um, we. I, so I applaud what you're doing you because do. edu education is the key to having a better life, and it's a yes. key you can affect generationally. Yes. People. And, and and families and villages and everybody if 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 you raise the educational standards and so true that is so important and I know I've talked to a lot of people that have done what you're doing in 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 those areas and and they'll tell all tell me they're happy people they're wonderful people they've got they've got a, a great spirit about them and they could do so much more if they had just a little bit more yeah and we really want it to be I also want to be very careful of not being these Western women who come in and like prescribe these Western values to the Nepalese people, which is why it's important to us that, you know, these women tell us what they need. So that's, you know, we're accepting applications from women to say like, I, this is what I would love to do. And this is what education would mean to me. So that we're supporting their dreams as opposed to saying like, you know, we want to build this sort of little version of the U.S. in Nepal, which is not, right. I mean, there's no. so many, like you said, the values of that community are, just, 
every time I travel to Nepal, I feel a little bit lighter, a little bit like I have much more perspective about what's really important. And I think it's so key to preserve those things and just enhance what's already there. And the, the, the concept of, of with better education within their value structure, yeah. within yeah. their culture, can only bring good things Absolutely into their own culture. And yeah. so it's not like you're the great big white women that are going to come and save everybody. Yes. It's, it's you're, yes. you're, you're trying to help them live their lives, however they choose to live them a little bit better. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an, thank you for saying that because I think it's a really important distinction. And congratulations. I think that's awesome. So if, you, if someone would like to, now it's probably too late if you want to go climbing this fall. It's probably too late because you're probably not anywhere near in as good a shape. But if somebody, if somebody was and wanted to join your group, how would they do that? Yeah, you can check out anythingispossible.today. Um, you'll see the, the current team there as well as, you know, if you're interested or feel compelled to support the women of Nepal, you can offer a donation there too. That would, that would be, that would be great. Please uh, dig into your pocket and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and help this cause. It's a really, it really is a really cool cause. And uh, by the way, we're talking with Lisa Thompson. If you want to go to Lisa's website, go to lisaclimbs.com and that you can find the book there, buy it from her website. Uh, you can buy it, get it from Amazon and everybody else, but, but uh, I think she makes it a little bit more if you buy it from her website. And so, so do that. And uh, we need to take a break real quick. And, but if you want to give us a call, if you'd like to talk to uh, pick the brain of a world and I'm not kidding here, guys, a world-class climber who is, she knows the Whitakers. She's part of the Mountaineers Club in, in, in Seattle. She is one of the premier climbers in the world today, and uh, she's with us for the next half hour or so. If you want to give us a call and talk to her, uh, give do that, 425. And she's local. She's in West Seattle, so you can almost shout at her, 425-373-5527 or 888 298-5569. We need to take a quick break and we will be right back more with Lisa Thompson and the book Finding Elevation, Fear and Courage on the World's Most Dangerous Mountain. We'll be right back. Do you believe in the combination of brain work and spirituality? Her grace and sense of humor have made Allison Roberts highly sought after. She's a cognitive behavioral expert with natural intuition. Allison has guided thousands of people all over the world to find their internal power. Visit A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-R-O-B-E-R-T-S.com for your free guided meditation today. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I created Positive Talk Radio on KKNW 1150 AM. And if you like what we're doing here... Evolving ideas one conversation at a time. We have so much more to offer you on PositiveTalkRadio.net. Over 160 podcasts and growing. Great positive guests and many thoughts and ideas designed to help you and your family live life just a little bit better. You can even contribute to our work by becoming a member and receiving lots of cool stuff. Please check it out. I created PTR because now's the time for positive change and nothing else matters. Again, visit PositiveTalkRadio.net, and thanks for listening. When you want to say more than words communicate, 
you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. Now through New Year's Eve, here's your exclusive bonus for being our appreciated listener. Type in promo code Positive Talk Radio at checkout to receive $20 off your order. Our gift to you for being here with us today. AnaturalDesign.com Have you ever said, how did I do this again? Want to create your own powerful life? Well, Allison Roberts can help resolve the issues that keep repeating by creating a new outcome. She is one of the top 100 coaches in the world and will help you achieve your dreams. Email her at allison at allisonroberts.com or visit allisonroberts.com and receive a free guided meditation and discover all of her ongoing programs and events. And welcome back, everybody, to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald. I've been around here for a little while doing the show, and I really got to tell you, I am enjoying talking to uh, Lisa Thompson. Go to lisaclimbs.com, and uh, you can find uh, um, all about her and her climbing history and what she does. She is one of those people that, and, and, you know, uh, Lisa, when I said that, that you have authentic grit, uh, I wasn't kidding because that, and that's maybe the highest compliment because we all strive for that. Uh, we all, but you, but when you can do what you've done and climb and written the book and, and you're giving back and, and you're, you're working with, uh, women to make their plight a little bit more even, and you're, you're a shining example of what that can look like. Um, you, you must go to bed at night and say, boy, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I don't <laughs> <laughs> No, because you have authentic grit. So it's like, what's next? What's next? Right. What do I do next? Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Um, because I, I think, I think there are positive and negative sort of air quotes, negative sides to every you know, personality or characteristic that, that we have. And I'm thankful that, you know, I have the drive to push myself and to keep, you know, sort of striving for the next thing, but sometimes it's really exhausting. And sometimes it's exhausting to the people around me as well. <laughs> so. Now, does your family ever say, now, Lisa, 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 even if, you know, we love you. We care for you. We don't want you to put yourself into these types of situations anymore because we don't want to have to go airlift you off and 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 take you home and 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 to your last resting place. We want you to live a long time. Do yeah. do you ever get that from your family? <laughs> I do get that from my family. So I grew up in the Midwest, uh, right in the center of Illinois, where there are a lot of cornfields and absolutely zero mountains, and. My family um, is still there. Um, and so though they are incredibly proud of me, they really, you know, just can't wrap their brain around this desire to continually put myself in, you know, what they see and rightly so as risky situations. And so that really came to a head, you know, as I said earlier, the decision, my decision to climb K2 was not a popular one. Um, and so all of that, you know, their sort of concern for me really came to a head uh, with regard to climbing that mountain. And 
I had, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 and, um, you know, had gotten through that battle with cancer and, you know, sort of just gotten back to like feeling strong and capable again in the mountains. And my father was actually diagnosed um, and very quickly uh, died of lung cancer. Um, I was actually learned of his diagnosis when I was uh, on Mount Everest. And so um, sort of lots of, of related stories there, but to get to your point, it you know it was very hard for people around me to understand why I would put myself in such risk by climbing K2 after I had just beat cancer and after I had just you know watched my father lose his battle with cancer. And so it was a really hard um, time in my life. The climbing coach that I had worked with for many years ended our coaching relationship when I, you know, decided to continue climbing K2 because he felt like I was climbing above my ability. Um, so I felt like I didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have a lot of cheerleaders, a lot of people in my corner. And, you know, I, I realized that I had to really be true to myself and know that there was just this little, spark or feeling or voice inside of me that believed I could do it. And I just, I held on to that and kept pushing forward. The most important person in the world was in your corner. Yeah. You. Thank you. Yeah. It's very true. And that's that in every great story that, that uh, you hear about of somebody that has gone above and beyond, it has because it's it happened because of themselves. It's not an out. It's not an external force. It's what you can do for yourself and what you are feel motivated and driven to do. And that's that's so important because at the end of the day, many years from now, as you're lying in your bed on your last day, you want to be able to say, "I did. I led my life the way that I want to." Even if you're not. Even if you end up even if it's on a mountain someplace you still yeah. did what what you life did what you wanted to do in life yeah I joke with my friends that my favorite song is Frank Sinatra's my way <laughs> <laughs> well you know and there's something to be said for that because um you know that <laughs> I, I had a, I had an employer one time who, who said to me you know you're not a very good employee uh, because I, I I wanted to be, be my own man and wanted to do my own thing, so um, so I did, and uh, but but and you did and you've done that your, your whole life, but you've built a great life around it, and uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And I so going back to employers, they're just sort of tangent on that. I like for a very long time I had a corporate job, and I felt maybe like you did, Kevin, that this just wasn't like I wasn't living. I'm not prescribing people quit their corporate jobs, but for me, it was just not the right environment for me to really be myself. And I felt very stifled in that environment. And so I'm so grateful now that I, I get to hang out with cool people like you every day. I get to talk about mountains every day. I get to help people, you know, achieve their goals in the mountains. And it was a dangerous sort of leap to go from that, you know, corporate gig to, to relying on myself completely but I'm so, I have so much less stress in my life, so much more satisfied and, you know, feel this sense of accomplishment that I never felt in a corporate world. And you know why that is? <laughs> it's because you're following your God-given path. Yeah. 
that is what the universe has wanted you to do and and you're following that and so from internally from yourself and from your 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 higher self as well as your guides you're following what what you were designed to do and i'm a big advocate of the we all should be following what we are designed to do and uh not not to settle for I was in corporate America for a long time. I sold dead chicken for a long time. I was a national chicken salesman. I, you know, I, I could walk into a vice president's office and sit down. I played golf, you know, with these guys a lot and all that kind of stuff. But it did not, it did not cause my soul to be happy. Yeah. Whereas today, talking with you here at nine o'clock on Saturday or on Monday morning makes me makes my soul happy. Yeah. Same. But, that's why I do what I do and, uh, and stuff. And so I advocate that everybody do that because you can only sell so much dead chicken. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think it's, when I look back, um, I think that there were lots of signs, you know, that I was not on the right path by sticking in this corporate environment. And I think for a long time, I ignored them and I kept sort of like tunnel vision that, you know, I need to keep working harder and get promoted and make more money and do all the things. Um, and I really think, you know, today I'm, I'm grateful for cancer because it's one of the things that I feel like just a big sort of, you know, bonk on the head. Like you need to wake up girl and, and look at how you're prioritizing your life, you know, who you're surrounding yourself with, how you're spending your time and resources. And in the moment when I was, you know, diagnosed and going through treatment, I did not feel this way, but having the perspective of several years, now I can say that, you know, cancer helped me get some of that perspective and put things in a more reasonable order for me. You know, what's interesting about that is that, that we would, I would like to think that we're all smart enough to be able to figure that out without having the universe step in and create, I wasn't. <laughs> and to create experiences for us that lead us down the right path. It's like, it's like, okay, well, you know, there are some negatives here, but the, at the end of the day, at the when we get done with the you know the 50,000 foot view which is like you get to see you get when you are on um Mount Everest and you get the 50,000 foot view you really do get the 50,000 foot view because yeah. you can see yeah. all the way down on a, on a good day and you can see what everybody's doing and you have an idea of what's happening around you rather than being stuck in the trees where you see one tree ahead of you and one tree behind you. So yeah. that's, that's, that's really important that, that you have that 50,000 foot view because now you, you have a, you have a design and the, the guy, your guides and the people around you are making that happen for you and it's continuing to happen for you. So it's, and, and sometimes you have to have a, sometimes you have to have a, negative experience in order to make those changes to make you happy. You do. Yeah, you do. And I always say mountains teach me things. I think it's one of the reasons that I just keep going back and back and back. And um, that was very true for me. In 2015, I attempted a mountain in Nepal called Manaslu. um, And it was to be my first 8,000 meter peak. And so um, there are only 14 mountains in the world that are higher than 8,000 meters. And so it was a, it's a really big deal to be ready to climb one of them. And 
for those for those among us that may not be in the meters, that's <laughs> that's so slightly we, over twenty four thousand feet. Yeah, close to twenty six thousand feet. Yeah. Whoops, there yep. goes my math. So twenty six. <laughs> so it's ten. So look at Mount Rainier as you're driving down I five and add ten thousand feet add to that. Twelve thousand feet. Yeah. Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand feet. <laughs> 12, feet. And so it's almost double the size of Mount Rainier. Yeah, it is. Which is hard to imagine. You know, when we see Rainier driving down I ninety, it's just this behemoth and it's still 90 miles away from us so it's hard to imagine things bigger than that but yeah there's so there's only 14 mountains in the world that are that rise above 8,000 meters and it was you know really big deal for me this was in 2015 to be ready to climb one of them and I selected sort of a you know a, one of the easier 8,000 meter peaks and I was diagnosed with cancer just before um, that climb um, and it was very fortunate that it was caught early and I had a bilateral mastectomy and I, you know, going back to being stubborn, I still six, eight months later chose to climb and I wasn't a hundred percent, but I had my doctor's support. I sort of, you know, they sort of said like, I don't have a reference. None of my cohorts have a reference to know if you should go climb this mountain so soon after, you know, having a mastectomy, but here's my cell phone. And I didn't summit that mountain. Um, there was an avalanche or there was risk of avalanche above 24,000 feet. But, and this is one of the reasons I, I just believe firmly that mountains, and I think nature really teaches us things because I, I was disappointed, of course. But once I got home and sort of thought about it, I realized that what I learned from that mountain, from climbing, you know, as much as I did of it was probably more important than standing on the summit because I knew it just solidified for me and, you know, sort of having the perspective of looking back at cancer, I just really realized that life is fragile and that it's up to each of us to define the lives that we will lead. Nobody else should do that or gets to do that for us. And, you know, that really sort of charted the course for the rest of my life. Having, you know, had that realization, it allowed me to put a lot of things in perspective. Thank you for sharing that. that, that that's a, that's a big deal, because a lot of a lot of us are scared to, <laughs> to make that decision to go, to go go do that. They want to. They we want to. Uh, yeah. We truly want to, but we're frightened that we can't make a living. We can, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why we can't do it. Uh, but I'm, I'm, you are a shining example of somebody that said, okay, well, I can do it because I have authentic grit. That's my favorite word for today. Thank you. Well, I was still scared. I mean, I'm still scared sure. every day. Of course and you I, are. You know, fear, fears, you know, there's so many analogies with fear being in the mountains. And I think a little of it is a good thing. I think a little of it kind of keeps you on your toes and moving. And in the mountains, it keeps me aware of the environment, what's changing around me. But too much of it, just like you said, can be stifling, right? It sort of keeps you stuck in the position that you're in. And I think it's just, for me, it's been so important to look out and see what my goal is. And some days it's like, you know, I'm just going to take this one tiny step to get there. I'm going to make one phone call today. I'm going to like, you know, <laughs> post something on Instagram because maybe that, you know, gets a little more interest in my book or my company. Other days I feel like I accomplish a lot, but I think it's just important to like, always put one foot in front of the other and keep moving towards that goal. That's the only way to be. That's, the only, that's the only way to end. Quite frankly, it's the only way to be successful because every successful person that I've known failed 
yeah. miserably yeah. many times and before they became an a overnight success um, my right. favorite is the Beatles were a, tra- a traveling band for eight years and then suddenly they were an overnight success yep. um, so and but uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows this is Lisa Thompson that we're talking to she's a world-renowned mountain climber she go to uh, lisaclimbs.com and get the book finding elevation it's uh, about fear and courage in the world's most dangerous mountain which is her climb on k2 um she's she's got a company here in town which is called alpine athletics alpine athletics if you want to go you know exchange some um information about equipment about style about fitness and nutrition and all that stuff she's there for you and you also coach people don't you yeah so i coach people through alpine athletics and um you know i i i focus my coaching really on three areas there's obviously a very big physical component to climbing any mountain um there's this mental component which we talked about a little bit and then there's the tactical side, which is just making sure that you understand the route and the risks and your gear is very dialed. And I think one of the things that makes me unique as a mountaineering coach is that I focus on all those things. I want people to be very, very holistically prepared when they step foot on a mountain. Um, and I've climbed most of the mountains that I coach people to, to summit. And so I've literally been there and know what it's like like we were saying to haul 85 pounds on Denali or I know you know what it's like to walk up horrible scree on Aconcagua so um I liked I think it's very important to be focused in each of those three areas so that you're really prepared before your climb has anybody ever come into your facility and said I want to climb a mountain and then you said okay this is how you start and then you got to do this and then and then they go uh, <laughs> perhaps maybe I, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody like, turn around and walk out the door and say, geez, I can't believe all that stuff. Most people, I have had a few people and it's happening more frequently now because climbing is becoming more popular. Um, I've had a few people who, you know, they're just like, they're interested in it, right? They, they heard about it or watched a movie and they want to start doing it. And so it's, it's actually really cool to me to like work with someone who's just has that like uh, endless curiosity about something and is like you said, Kevin, also willing to do the work, right? You have to, I think, pair those two things together to really be successful. Yeah, most of most of the if you, when you start talking about the you know the the W word, uh, yeah. a lot of people are, are I don't want to work that hard. It, right. But right. but you know the war, rewards can clearly out outpace the uh, the cost of doing something like that because when you're standing, yeah. when you're standing at twenty six now, when you're at twenty six thousand feet, do you have to wear oxygen? Yeah. So 26,000 feet is about the point where people start to breathe bottled oxygen. And there are many, many alpinists who choose not to, and that's great for them. I happen to love oxygen. And so I want as much of it as I can possibly get. (laughs) I can't imagine there was a a point on Mount Everest. um, If we have time for another quick story where I actually ran out of, of oxygen. Um, So an area called the yellow band, and it's, you know, this rock feature, it's maybe 30 degree rock and at sea level it would be fun. But I realized that I was moving so slowly 
And it took me a long time and actually help from someone else to realize that the reason I was just so sluggish and my brain wasn't processing was that I, I had run out of oxygen. And so I have a choice, right? I have to get up this rock feature and I could either turn around and descend and go back to camp. Um, I could have sat there and waited and, you know, asked someone to bring me a bottle of oxygen or I could have kept going. And I chose to keep going. It was one of the hardest moments, I think, in the mountains I'd had until that point of climbing at 25,000 feet without oxygen. And I remember saying to myself to focus on the climber ahead of me and he was wearing a red down suit and never let him out of my sight. Like no matter what it took, not let him out of my side. And I made it up that rock band and um, my climbing partner, uh, Purba, gave me some oxygen and just that feeling of like the world, like it's hard to explain how your vision narrows, your brain is sluggish. All of a sudden, all of that came back. Um, and so that sort of solidified for me that I, I have no desire to climb without oxygen. Everybody you knows it's great, the people who do. Um, but, but yeah, 26,000 feet is about the point where you start to wear it. Well, when you when you get to a point where your brain starts to not function correctly because you don't have enough oxygen, yeah. that's when I would draw the line because that's yeah. that's that's dangerous. That's how people get hurt. It is dangerous. And, you know, especially in that scenario where I had been breathing oxygen until that point. So my body was only acclimatized. It was only used to breathing oxygen at about twenty one thousand feet. And so all of a sudden I'm at twenty five thousand feet without enough oxygen those alpinists who, who intend to climb without it do a very thorough job of acclimatizing. So their body slowly gets used to having less and less oxygen, but it becomes very dangerous for someone who's not acclimatized to a higher elevation to suddenly be without it. Boy, I got to tell you, you are a phenomenal person. And thank you for coming here and talking to us today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. But before we go, I would like to give you the opportunity to tell our audience, those that are listening today, and then this will turn into a podcast that will be on KK, which will be on positivetalkradio.net uh, for the rest of time. But if there's anything that you would like to tell us now, please. <laughs> I think, you know, one of the important things I've learned in my life um, and I'm sure there will be more to come. I hope there are more things to learn to come. But one of the things that's been a tenant for me is to not let anyone else define what I'm capable of. I think there were points in my life where I didn't have a strong enough voice or I wasn't courageous enough. And I let other people tell me that I couldn't do something or I shouldn't do something. And it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago that I realized that Nobody else gets to define what I'm capable of. That's up to me. And it's up to me to define how I'm going to do that in this world. And so that's, if there was one takeaway for listeners, I think that's an important one. I couldn't agree more because it is the biggest decisions that you make in life come from within. Yeah. And that it isn't mom and dad. Mom and dad may want to protect you from yourself um, or your friends and family may think you're nuts. But if you believe in something wholeheartedly and you're getting the signal from in, inside of yourself that this is what will make you happy and this is what you should do, then by all means, pursue it to the best of your ability and, and not to give up. Absolutely. 
So Especially, and you see, yours is a perfect example because I can think of a billion reasons why, and including the cake, the bed, the, the 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 eggs Benedict in the morning, you know, the 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 coffee sitting by the, you know, I can yeah. think of a million reasons to turn around. Yeah, I can only think of one reason to keep going. Right. Because you're not going to give up. Yep. Because I'm capable of more. That's right. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I had, I had a similar experience. So when I was in uh, high school, I was a wrestler. And uh, I, I was facing the, 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 the repeat state champion in that, in that, in that uh, weight class. And I wasn't even on the team. I just came because they needed somebody to, to fill out that, and I'd wrestled the year before. And so um, there was a great big cheer for this guy when I and did the match, and uh, he beat the crap out of me. He literally, but I won on points because I wouldn't give up. And at, wow. the, end, at the end of the match, when we were both exhausted, and, uh, and I somehow found the energy to break free from him and to get away, which gave me the point to win. And, uh, and oh my so gosh. that was, for me, that's what it was like to have an experience of something that was ab above myself. I had no idea I could do yeah. that. Yeah, what a great story. That says a lot about your character, Kevin, and your willingness to just keep going no matter what. Uh, it's my, that's, that's why I created uh, um, Authentic Grit. I was going to say, I think maybe you have some authentic grit there. I, 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 I do. I does because I'm not giving this up. I'm not. I, I do this. I do this on the podcast. I do this and I do this because I love it. I love talking to people. I love pe bringing people like you to others that they, you can, I can put you up and show you as an example. This is what it can be like. Mm -hmm. This is the life that you can have. Is it all cupcakes and rainbows? No, you've survived cancer. Your dad passed away. You've had, you've had some tough moments in time, but you're still here yeah. and, you're, and you're not going to give up okay. and, and you're going and you're, and you're helping people and you're doing all the good things. And so will, will you come back and talk to us some more? I would love to. Yeah. Maybe right after I get back from Nepal in November, we can talk about that climb. I'd be happy to. I would love to, I would love to have you on and talk about how you did and how the ladies did and, yeah. and some of the, and, and how the, uh, um, folks that you, that you help in the, in the, um, village. That'd be super cool. I'd love that. Yeah. I would, we would love to have you come and do that because you are, you're, you're phenomenal and you're local and you know, um, uh, there are, you know, like Lou Whitaker and, um, and his brother, Jim Whitaker, yeah. Jim, uh, they, 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 were climbing legends around. They certainly are. Yeah, the first on the first team to summit Mount Everest, first American team. Um, yeah, really cool. To, to there's just such cool culture, climbing culture in Seattle. And there are they still with us? Yes. Yeah. Good. 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 I I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so so if you it, go to the Mountaineers Club, I used to be. I want <laughs> at one time I was a building services manager there for about a minute and a half. Oh, cool. Yes, but uh, so go go talk to uh, uh, them, and they they've got lots of literature there, and there's all kinds of stuff. Great in climbs, yeah, and it's great. It's a great organization in that if you're curious about climbing, you can you know join and sort of matriculate matriculate through their climbs and their courses. It's a great way to learn. 
Absolutely. By the way, again, we've been talking with Lisa Thompson. Go to lisaclimbs.com and get the book, Finding Elevation. It's a great read. You'll enjoy it and uh, find out all about her. Donate to her cause. If you've got the means, please do that. And I'd like to thank everybody for being here. We're going to be back Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock. And I hope that, um, by the way, take care of each other because, you know, each other's all we got. We'll see you Wednesday at 4.